Well, good morning, church. Uh, let's try that one more time. Good morning. Uh, I put the clock up here this morning. Just thought I'd let you know. The reason I did that is Garrett accused me earlier of putting it, turning it around this way so I couldn't see the time. But my response to him is our church is so amazing here that they don't care about what time it is, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, that's right. Not all of you agree with that. I can tell. It's all right. We're Baptists and we're, we're good with that. Brother, do me a favor. Put that down there so I do need to know what time it is. Would you do that? Not that it makes any difference or not, but uh, when I came in this morning, uh, I, I left my phone, which is also my wallet. I have a one and all. That way I don't look for both. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're looking for just one, so I have a phone and a wallet, and I left it in the truck when I came in, and I'm lost without it, even though I know it's over here, so I went to get it, and I saw some people walking out of the church after Sunday school. Now, Will, where are you? I know you're here. I remember when I was a student pastor, I thought, man, I'm going to make my sermon so interesting, everybody's going to want to come and hear me preach. And then I became the pastor, and I realized that is not possible. <laughs> I don't even like to listen to myself preach. And so I said, I said, can I go with you guys? And they kind of look at me, you know. And... Uh, <laughs> I said, I don't blame you. I don't want to hear myself either. And uh, they kind of looked at me a little strange and went off anyway. So uh, <laughs> what can I say, brother? You know, one of these days, you're going to be the guy up here every Sunday, and you're going to be trying to knock it out of the park. But I just remind you, no hitter ever hits it out of the park every time they get up to bat. <laughs> right? Come on, Right? All right, so we're going to try that today. Um, you know, I don't blame some people for trying to figure out, what are we doing a series on prayer before? Because I know how to pray. And some of us may not think this is a worthy study, but I think it's probably the most worthy study we can have at this particular season in the life of our church. And I'm convinced, too, that some of us need to unlearn what we've learned in regard to prayer, and we need to probably stop praying some of the praying that we're doing and pray differently and I must confess to you, I have been working on this sermon as late as 9.30 this morning. And the reason for that is my father passed away uh, Friday, uh, Saturday morning at 2.30. I got a phone call. We were there until late Friday night. I went home. The hospice nurse said that probably my dad would, uh, would not, you know, expire for at least another 24 or 48 hours. So we went home, and I got a call at 2.30. So I've been up since yesterday, 2.30 to 11 o'clock, since we drove into town. So... If I fall asleep up here, somebody wake me up, all right? It's really bad when the pastor or the guy who's preaching falls asleep in his own sermon, right? But I'm here because this is where my dad would want me to be. As I've told this church before on the Sunday night that I came, and you guys graciously gave me the opportunity to be your interim pastor during this time, my father preached more than likely in this pulpit decades ago when Shad Rue was the pastor here. And uh, he loved Chad Brew. He talked about him in his last dying breath when he found out I was coming to Paramount Church here in Amarillo. He just, Chad Brew, Chad Brew. He asked me if Chad was still alive. And I said, no, Dad, he's with Jesus. And uh, he wanted a picture of Chad and wanted to see him. So I got one when Chad was about 22 years old and showed it to him. And he smiled and he said, that's the guy I know. But anyway, that's what he looks like today. And so if you have your Bible, take your Bible and turn with you to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 5 through 9 today. 9a, we're going to look at basically 
four words in verse 9 that will kind of set us up to where we're going today. I did this last week, and I want to do this again as we start. So I want to encourage you to get your pen and paper out and, and, and maybe these sermon notes. And if you hear something worthy of writing down, please do so. Uh, but here's the central idea of where we're going today. God welcomes us to draw near to and bow before him, the almighty throne of grace. But we must always do so with the utmost recognition reverence, and respect. God welcomes us to draw near to and bow before his almighty throne of grace, but we must always do so with the utmost recognition, reverence, and respect. One more time, for those of us like myself who are a little slow. God welcomes us to draw near to and bow before his almighty throne of grace, but we must always do so with the utmost recognition reverence, and respect. He is and always will be, always has been, the Lord God Almighty who sits and who reigns and who rules on his throne. The one who is responsible for the life that we know today, not only in giving us life, but who sustains life. And the fact that we are sitting here in this place, honoring and glorifying him today, and breathing the air that we breathe is only by his sovereign grace and his grace alone. For as we sang about this morning, if we were to receive what we justly, rightfully deserved, it would not be in this place, in his presence today. So in honor of God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word, I invite you to stand with me and honor the Lord, and let's reverence him today by reading from this passage, Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. And when you pray, you must be like the hypocrite. Must not be like the hypocrites. Turn to your neighbor, so don't be like a hypocrite, man. Do not do that, okay? When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, you have received, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Lord, I pray that as we stand in your presence this morning and we open your word, these words you spoke from the mouth of your Son, Jesus Christ, not only to those who were listening then, but to those of us who are listening today. And some of us in this place this morning need to unlearn what we have learned about prayer so that we can pray in a way that respects, reverences, and honors you. Some of us in here just need to be encouraged in the way that we pray, maybe to enhance the way that we've been praying. And so, Lord, I pray that these studies that we are coming to together in your word, that you would open our minds, open our hearts to be receptive to what we hear so that your word, as it does not and will not return void, might have an impact in our lives and transform not only just us, but the way we come into your holy presence, the way that we approach your throne, and the way that we pray. God, thank you for the privilege that we have to pray. Help us to this, this time and this morning as we study this text. 
be better prepared as we go into your almighty presence in a way that would bring reverence, respect, honor, and glory to you and to you alone. And it's in your son's name, Jesus Christ, that we ask and we pray these things. Amen. Two Sunday nights ago, this church voted to call us as me, as the interim pastor. And, and um, I remember when uh, Victor went and got us into the fireside room and um, brought us in here, you stood and you welcomed us with an incredible welcome that just made us feel really warm and welcomed. Thank you for that. There's never a time in a moment that I have not felt as welcomed as that since the last time I went and viewed a call as a pastor at Emmanuel Baptist Church 15 years ago. It had been that long since the church had voted to call me to do anything. I was 11 years at Emmanuel and five years with the state convention, so that was 16 years ago I had the opportunity to just wait for a vote in a fireside room as they were trying to figure out, you know, whether or not I was going to be here or not. And 98% of you agreed that God wanted me here, and I want to thank you for welcoming us. We have felt welcome here ever since. Last Sunday, Will gave to me dozens of welcome cards that the students had signed. Thank you guys for doing that. Some of you said more than others. Some of you have really neat penmanship, man. I don't know where you get it, and I bet it's the girls, <laughs> right? Said some really incredible things, and Patty and I got them out. I spread them on the bed when we got home and took a picture of it, put it on Facebook, and I just wanted everyone to know how incredibly welcomed we felt from the student ministry. Thank you guys for doing that. Uh, last Monday, we had the opportunity, I had the sit-in staff meeting, and was greeted and welcomed by our church staff and just want to let you know they are very incredibly wonderful men who are gifted and ladies too who are called by God to serve you and I'm honored to be here alongside them and serve you during this capacity and went to lunch Victor picked up the tab and so we're grateful for that and so uh, this Monday at lunch we're going back again to Cheddar's this time I hear no I'm just kidding so uh, um and so I, I, we have felt welcome. Then I, I, there's been some, some many of you who have become friends with us on Facebook, and uh, you have sent some really wonderful things that have felt left us feeling very welcomed here uh, in this season in the life of your church. Isn't it great to feel welcome? It is. Uh, this church does a great job in greeters. We want people to feel welcome when they come to this place, when they come into time for the Bible study and when people come into the place of worship we have some people who do this sacrificially they stand there and they hand you things that uh, you may or may not want and you take it anyway and they want to welcome you into the place of, of Bible study and worship and if you're here this morning and that is the capacity in which you serve this church I want to invite you to stand if you serve as a greeter and you welcome people on Sunday mornings don't be bashful stand with me don't leave me up here by myself come on guys and uh, let's, let's glorify the Lord. Thank you for that. We want you to feel welcome when you come into the place of Bible study and worship. But there's someone greater than that than just us as human beings. There's a Heavenly Father. There is a God who wants us to feel welcomed into his presence. There's a beautiful privilege that he's given us called prayer. He invites us. And when we accept that invitation and we come into the very presence of God, into the very place where God sits on this incredible throne of grace, because it's by grace alone that we get, in, get into his presence, we have access to his presence, and that he hears our prayers, this incredible throne of grace, he welcomes us into his presence. 
and he hears us, and he receives us, and he attends to us. That is an incredible privilege, a privilege that I'm not so sure that we take advantage of near enough, or sometimes we take it for granted, or sometimes it's kind of like that prayer that we pray at the beginning of a meal. It's rushed. It's in a hurry so that we can get the job done and get on with better, more important things. Maybe we're dialing 911 and asking God at the last moment to help us in our time of need, and we've not gone to him in days. And yet he still welcomes us. And so I want us to take a look at prayer this morning in a different light because I think there is important information that Jesus gives us in this text when he says, pray then like this, before he starts to give this incredible pattern of praying, some insight on how we can best be prepared to enter into the presence of the Almighty God. Because that's what prayer is. Coming into the presence of the Almighty God who sits on his glorious throne of grace. We have access to him through prayer. Now, I know he is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. But prayer is our opportunity to focus in and narrow in and capture for just in that moment when we bow our heads to pray the very presence of God. Not that he's not always present or ever present, but it's we who are acknowledging the very presence of God as we pray. And what a valuable time that should be. And it should be handled with the the utmost respect and reverence and recognition as we come into the very throne room of God to access him through prayer. And so I want us to take a look basically at four things. And first of all, I want us to understand that prayer is an activity that Christ desires from those of us who are his disciples. He He desires that we pray. He invites us into his presence, and he wants us to pray. Notice the text. It says, pray then like this. Pray then like this. I I don't like to use notes very often, but I'm going to do so today for just a moment because I I want to capture what the word pray means. So here it is. Prayer is progressive meaning that it is a verb. It is something where individuals move with action. It is something that we take upon ourselves, and it is something that we do. We pray. God does not pray. We pray. And it is something that is a verb. This word pray is a verb, and he is saying that we must move into this opportunity to approach God who is sitting on his throne. It is we who come into his presence. It is something that we actively do. We pray. Secondly, prayer is present tense. It means it is habitual and continuous. It is an opportunity that we have to continually, constantly, habitually, always be in a state, an attitude, a mindset to pray. This word pray doesn't mean that we stop and pray and then we stop praying and we do something else. It means to continually, constantly be in an attitude and in a habitual state of prayer. From the moment we wake up to the moment that we lay our head on our pillow and close our eyes and go to sleep, we are to be presently praying. It is a passive word, pray, is a passive word, meaning that God is the stated and implied agent behind prayer. 
Our prayers do not activate God. Our prayers do not have power in and of themselves. God then is the divine passive who acts on behalf of our prayer life. And it is God who activates or who answers or he initiates that which we have prayed for. As we pray, it is God. There was a church that I was in uh, years ago as a student pastor, and it said, prayer changes things, right above the baptistry. That's not really good theology. God changes things. God changes things, not prayer. And our prayers may invite, may ask for, may activate God's power in his presence and his provision, but prayer in of itself does not move the heart of God alone, and we do not create our own reality when we pray. Next prayer is personal, meaning that it's individual. It's something that each of us as disciples of Christ are invited to do. No one has a special dispensation by which they can enter the throne of grace any differently than anyone else in this room. Whether you're the interim pastor or a staff pastor or whether you're a, a greeter or whether you're uh, just attending church or whether, whatever it is you think that, that you are in the pecking order of God's kingdom, there is no one higher up or any lower below this beautiful privilege that we have. We all have the same access to God and we are all invited to pray. I don't have a special dispensation that that you don't have. We all have the same. Access to him. And it is purposeful. Prayer is purposeful. In that the purpose of prayer is not just so that we can bring our requests to God. Prayer is about relationship. And it is a relationship that we have with God that we bring our requests to him. And too often, most of us are so busy about bringing our to-do list to God or our grocery list to him, and we go through this long list of things that we are requiring or asking or petitioning or begging or pleading that God would do, whether it's financial or physical, any other means. And, and once we give him that grocery list, that's all we've got to do when we pray, and we're done. And we check that off the list and said, well, we prayed. And you're going to find out in this requirement or this, this, this preparation as well as, as in this thing that God, through Christ, gives us how we approach his throne, there are elements to the prayer that are very relational. And I invite you this week, I encourage you this week, spend between now and next Sunday, when you pray, don't ask God for a single thing. Not a single thing. And just enjoy his relationship through prayer. Don't ask him for finances. Don't ask him for healing. Don't ask him to do anything except, Lord, I'm just here to bask in your glory and to enjoy your presence. I just want to be with you today. You know, he doesn't have to get to know us. We're the ones that have to get to know him. And that's what prayer is about. It's about a relationship. And that's what we sometimes have forgotten. Because many times in a prayer meeting, when churches gather together, like we're going to be getting together next Sunday afternoon, it's all about requests. And yet, it's not all about requests. It's more about relationship. Pray. He asks us to pray. 
Imagine if the only time you heard from your child was when they needed something from you or they wanted you to do something for them. That's the only time they ever called you. Anybody got a friend like that? Come on. You got a friend like that? Raise your hand if you do. If you're not raising your hand, you're that person. (laughs) And when that phone rings and, and I see your name on my ID list there and I go, oh no, what do they want this time? And it's usually they want something. What if that's the only time you ever heard from your child? What kind of relationship is that? It's not a very good one. It's not a very deep one. And it's certainly done honor and glorify God the way that it should. Christ invites us into a relationship through prayer where we, in that intimate love relationship with him, in that aspect of our conversation and getting to know him and enjoying him and glorifying him and honoring him and praising him and all of those things that we do during prayers we're going to talk about. Oh, by the way, God, as you know, I've been here 30 minutes with you. I've got two things now in the last 30 seconds I'd like to bring to you. Think how how much joy that would bring your heavenly father if that were your prayer life. So it is an activity where Christ desires us, invites us to pray. Secondly, and it's about relationships. Secondly, he is, prayer is assuming a posture of obedience. It is assuming a posture of obedience because the word pray is in the imperative, means that it is a command. He not only invites us and desires that we pray, Christ commands his disciples to pray. It is not optional for you to pray. He says that we must pray. And any disciple who wants to be obedient to his Lord will follow his commands, will abide by his principles and precepts. And he says, I command you, I invite you to pray. But notice he says, pray then. That word then is a word that is inclusive. It is an inclusion. It is a conclusion. He concludes that his disciples will pray. He knows that we will pray because he knows that we need prayer because prayer is an acknowledgement on our part that we need someone greater than ourselves to help us not only live the life that he has called us to live but accomplish the ministry and the mission that he has commissioned us to do. We need him and so therefore we are going to pray. Pray then. He concludes that we are going to pray and then notice in verse 5, 6, and 7 in the beginning part of those verses he says, and when you pray. Verse 6, verse 7, but when you pray. And then notice verse 9, pray then, I mean, and when you pray. So we got the then, now we got the when. Sounds pretty tricky, doesn't it? The then and the when. He concludes that we're going to pray, but the question is, when do we pray? You see, the disciples, what we often forget, were men of prayer. They were devout. Men of God, before they were called by Christ, surely they were not high priests or they were not pastors or preachers or even deacons. They were probably fishermen and a tax collector and people that most everyone would overlook as counting or considering to be very religious. But these men were men of prayer. And as devout Jews who believed in God and feared God, they prayed every morning, every afternoon, and every evening without question they would take time to stop wherever they were and they would pray and in this 
aspect, that's the reason why in Luke, we see where the disciples say, well, teach us to pray. Because they watched Christ pray many, many times by himself for not just a quick little short amen, dig in, thank you, Lord, but in intimate relationship with his heavenly Father. So he assumes that we are going to pray, and therefore he commands us to pray because he knows we're going to need it. So when do you pray? How often do you pray? When do you pray? It's important for us to understand that the when is just as important as the who. He assumes that we are going to take this posture and pray, and obedient disciples do that. Number Point number three, prayer is approaching God intentionally. It's approaching God with intentionality. Now notice what he says in verse 9 again. Jesus says, pray then. How do we pray then? How do we pray when? Like this. Pray like this. Pray in this manner. When you approach the very throne of grace, the God Almighty, pray then this way. It is a model prayer. It is a prayer that gives us some characteristics of how we should pray, some aspects about prayer. And, and, and it can be a prayer that we quote as long as we engage our minds and our hearts and really mean what we say with our lips. Pray then like this. Now let's back up and let's go to verse 5 and let's, let's learn how we should pray like this. Because you see, it's not only about words, but it's about preparation to enter into the presence of the Almighty. So he says, pray like this. So as we approach God, how do we pray like this? Well, first of all, we need to reflect authenticity. Reflect authenticity. Notice what he says in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Anybody have a question about what a hypocrite is? It is someone who is pretending to be something they are not. They are hypocrites because they are portraying a, a heartfelt attitude or a mindset or a belief that they don't really hold. They are trying to conceal their motive for what they are doing. They're wanting you to think one thing when in reality they are someone else or something else. These hypocrites, what are they doing? They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. It wasn't uncommon during the day of Jesus for most of the praying that went on would be prayers that were prayed standing because if you were praying in the morning at that certain hour, you would be standing wherever you were. You'd stop and you'd pray in the afternoon. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you would stop and you would stand and you would pray. Whatever you're doing that evening, you would stop, you would stand, and you would pray. So it is, it is a common thing for them to stand. He is not suggesting that we stand every time we pray. He's just saying these people were standing, notice, and they were praying where? Where were they praying? In the synagogue. Why the synagogue? Of course we're supposed to pray in church, and that's what the synagogue was, was because many of them could not make it to the temple on a regular basis. They would go to the synagogue to hear sermons and to pray, their local community church like this one. And so these were where people prayed. And so they were praying in the synagogue. But why the synagogue? Because there's a large number of people in the synagogue. And the larger the crowd, the better. Because when I stand and I pray, they're going to think, how religious, how godly, how pious this person is. They must really love God. Oh, man, can they really pray? They're wanting to be seen by others in the synagogue as true religionists. 
men of the faith. Not only were they praying standing in the synagogue, but also in the street corners. This word for street is not a narrow street. Anybody been to Jerusalem? There are some narrow streets there, but there are some wider streets. And these people would single out, they would look for opportunities during the time of praying in the morning and the afternoon and the evening where the streets were wider because the wider the street, the more people would be there. And the more people who were there, the more who would see how religious, how pious, and how spiritual they are because they, all of a sudden, at the moment and the hour where they'd stop and they would pray and more people would see how religious they are. They look for opportunities to pray in a larger crowd to impress people. They can be seen by others. Their objective was not to be seen by God, but to be seen by people. The word love in that verse is phileo, meaning brotherly love. No wonder they love brothers more than they love God. And they were wanting to impress. They wanted the applause. They wanted the approval. They wanted the attention of those who would look at them and think how religious they are, are. But notice in verse, the last verse, the last sentence of the verse, truly, Jesus is about to reveal the truth. I, I say to you, the Son of God, the authority, the Son of God, say to you, they have received their reward. They got what they were looking for. They were not praying to be recognized and rewarded by God. They were praying to be recognized and rewarded by man, and so because that was their objective, that was their motive, that's what they received. And that's all they got. They got nothing more. God did not hear their prayer. He's heard it, but he did not hear in a way that he was going to answer it. He certainly didn't stand and applaud them. He certainly didn't look at them and go, wow, those people really love me. That was really a great moment with you in this time of prayer. But notice verse 6, Jesus goes on and saying, but when you pray, you who are my disciples, go, that means move, don't stand right where you are, but go. In other words, if you find yourself in a public place and you really want to pray, seek out, go into a room. That room there is a small room. Many people had small rooms in their homes or places of business where they kept their valuables and important stuff, small rooms. And shut the door and pray. So he says, select a place, shut the door, and speak to the Father. You're not speaking to men, you're speaking to the Father. You're not praying to communicate. Have many of you ever been in a church where the pastor got the end of his sermon and actually preached more of the sermon in his prayer than he did when he preached? Anybody been there? Come on. He like re-preached the sermon all over again. Like, I heard it the first time, dude. Right? We've all heard that. They're not, I wonder, are you really talking to God? Does he need this sermon? (laughs) We just heard it. So you're speaking to the Father who is in secret, in your secret place. And notice it says, and the Father who sees in secret will reward you. What is that secret place? It's the heart. It's the heart. He sees your motive. He knows your intentions. He knows your thoughts. You can't can't be a hypocrite in front of God. He sees it all. He knows what you're thinking right now. 
He knows what you're feeling right now. He knows where you are right now. He sees every aspect about it. You don't have to inform God anything about you. He already knows. He's already present. He's already attentive. And he sees your, the intention of the heart. And because of that, when your heart's right and your mind is engaged and your motive is right, he will reward you. It's an attitude that we must cultivate as we come to the presence of God. It's not about posture, and it's not about, did you notice I didn't wear a coat today? (laughs) I forgot my coat today. But sometimes we get so hung up about what we wear and the posture that we're in that we forget about it's a heart condition that God's more interested in. So we need to come with a reflection of authenticity. Secondly, we need to rest in God's sovereignty. I think that's, that's, that's this intentionality, is to rest in God's sovereignty. Notice verse 7. And when you pray, notice, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not heap up empty phrases. You know anybody who talks so much that it's kind of what it sounds like? <laughs> Ladies, have you ever been talking to your husband and you've got that stare? Come on, ladies. Can I get an amen to that, ladies? And you ask them, did you hear what I said? Well, of course, dear. Well, tell me what I said. Uh, Guys, sometimes it sounds like... Uh, We're doing marriage counseling at 5 o'clock this afternoon. Victor, you're, where's Victor? He's in here somewhere. Victor, you're going to be doing that, I know. Uh, anyway. The Gentiles are praying. Who are the Gentiles? This is a nationality of people who do not know the true God. They're not Israelites. They don't know Yahweh. They don't know Jehovah. They're not praying to the true God. Gentiles do pray to false gods. They are gods of their own making, by the way who don't have ears and don't have eyes, they have no mind, but they're praying to this God of their own making who can't do squat for them, and they are thinking that the more I talk to this God and the longer I... and I keep on and on and on and on, he's going to hear what I'm saying and do what I'm asking. And yet he's not a real God. Notice, if you remember in Kings 15, where uh, they have the... um, Mount Carmel battle with Elijah and the priest of Baal. Remember that story? And they're trying to bring down fire from heaven and consume this thing that's there. And they are going on and on and on and on. And Elijah makes fun of them. He says, well, maybe your God's in the bathroom. That's what he says. You ever tried to get anybody's attention in the bathroom? Or maybe your God's taking a long journey. Or maybe your God is asleep and he can't hear you. Scream a little louder. He makes fun of them. And then he says, watch. And he prays a very simple prayer. And fire comes down from heaven. Everybody goes, ooh, the Lord is God. Gentiles will pray. But they pray to a lifeless, meaningless, impotent God. And they think that they'll be heard by their many words. And sometimes I think 
he's warning us that we can sometimes pray like the Gentiles. Sure, there was a passage in the Bible, a, a parable, where Jesus said she kept knocking, kept knocking, kept knocking, and finally he came and answered her prayer. And we think persistence is the key, and so I'm going to keep knocking, knocking, knocking until he hears my prayer. Sometimes God says yes, and that's great. Sometimes he says wait, and sometimes he says no, but he always answers our prayer. And if God says no, stop praying. If God says yes, you stop praying. But if God sometimes says wait, and then we should continually pray, but we need to be careful not to try to wear God down, because you can't wear him down. If you could wear him down, his grace would have an ending. And there's no ending to the grace of God. You cannot wear him down. Verse 8, he then says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Let's look at that again. Do not be like those pagans, those Gentiles, those unbelievers who pray to a lifeless God. Let me, let me tell you what a, what a God really is. Your Father, your God, knows what you need. He is aware. He is attentive. He is present in your circumstance, in your situation. He is Lord of your life. You, you don't communicate to God something he doesn't already know. I think sometimes I have been guilty of trying to inform God what he doesn't know in my prayer life. God is fully aware. He knows what I'm going through, where I am, and the opportunity that I'm facing. And so I don't have to inform God. He already knows because he's that kind of God. He's an attentive God. He's aware of your circumstance and situation. And that's comforting to know that he knows. A side note, I remember one time when Addie, one of our little twins, she's now 15, was about to start driving. I think I mentioned her a couple of Sundays ago. She was a little bitty, and she came up to me. And she, You know, little girls sometimes, especially granddaughters, they do things that captivate, try to captivate your attention. You know what I'm saying? Look at me, look at me. And I was distracted. She walks over to me, grabs her hands like this on my face, points my head to her head and said, look, Doc, look at me. Sometimes I think when we pray, we're doing that to God. Look at me. Look at, look at me. Look at me. He's already looking. He already sees. He already knows you and what you're going through. He knows what you, I don't like this next word, need. He knows what you need. Turn to your neighbor and say, God knows what you need. Turn back and say, well, God knows what you need too. We're sometimes asking God for things we don't need. Right? Come on. Do you really need it? Really? Or do you have all that you need? We Americans are so spoiled. You need to go to a foreign country somewhere, especially a third world country or countries other than ours, to see what need really is. He already knows what you need. And so it, it helps us understand, he already knows, before you ask him. He knows what you need before you ask him. Your father knows, so focus on your needs and rely upon his sovereignty to give you what you need, not what you want. That's what he says, rest in God's sovereignty when you pray. As I'm approaching the throne of grace... I'm laying my burdens, my petitions, my things at his feet. 
I'm resting in the fact that God is sovereign. He's in control. He is Lord of my life. He is Lord of my circumstance. He is Lord of my condition. There are two guys I want to mention real quickly. First guy is a guy named David Day. My first pastorate, I was a young pup back then, a long time ago, wet behind the ears. Had been a student pastor in my first church. And uh, we were electing some new deacons one year, and David Day was elected by many to be a deacon, a great, godly, wonderful young, uh, not young, but an older man than me. Right now, he'd be very, very, old, very young right now <laughs> where I'm sitting, but in, when you're mid-20s, everybody's old. And, uh, right, Will? Anyway. And, uh, sorry, brother, I'm picking on you. Right, Garrett? Where are you? Anyway. Um, right, Victor? Right. <laughs> Victor said everybody's young to me. But anyway. <laughs> uh, or maybe it's debonair as Lance. But anyway. Um, and, and he turned it down. And two years later, we elected New Deacons again, and he turned it down. And I went to visit David Day. And I said, Brother David, why did you turn down being a deacon? He said, well, pastor, every Sunday a deacon has to get up and pray. I said, yes, sir. We want to acknowledge our deacons and their leadership. We asked them to pray. It was a small church, and he said, I, I can't pray in public. I said, well, why not? I, I, I can't pray in front of people. They might judge me and might think things about me. I said, well, David, who are you praying for and praying to? He said, to God. I said, who cares what they think? As long as God accepts your prayer. Would you think about being a deacon and when you get up to pray, just focus your attention on him. Have the right heart and the right mind and the right motive when you come before God, not to impress men, but just to pray. And God will honor that and he will bless that. He thought about that for a while and came back, called me up and said, Pastor, that's back when you used real phones back then. He said, Pastor, I think God's invited me to be a deacon. And he's one of the best deacons we had. We had all great deacons. All deacons are great deacons. Amen. And um, amen. Another guy that I want to mention, he, he was the guy that was authentic in his prayer life. Another guy was the chairman of a pastor church committee that called us as pastor. And I remember going to this church. And on my first Sunday, they recognized me on the pulpit and all that. And, and this guy prayed. And I thought, man, this guy can pray like nobody's business. He used the most flowerly, the most eloquent language of anybody I'd ever heard in my life. And I thought, wow, he can pray. A couple of weeks later, the same guy prayed the same prayer. Weeks later, or months later, it was his time to pray. He prayed the same prayer. And every time he prayed, he prayed the same prayer. Every time. It's like he had written it down and memorized it. This is the prayer that I pray in public. I'm not sure that's really authentic. But I think the sovereign God who understands our need and sees our need even before we do and we come to him in prayer, we need to make sure that our heart is right, our motive is right. He sees us He in that secret place. He attends to our need and he answers our prayer. Lastly, we access God through Christ. That's referenced here in this text and I want to close with this thought. Verse 6 and verse 8 help us understand that, but verse Five, six, and seven also, and when you pray, and when you pray, and when you pray, we are praying, you, he's speaking to us, who is he speaking to? Notice in verse six, and your father, your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
your father. Again, he says in verse 8, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He identifies God as our father, and he uses the personal pronoun yours, meaning God is your personal God. Yes, he is our God, but he is your God. And it is your privilege and it is your honor for you personally to come into the presence of your father. Yes, he is our father, but he is your father. Your personal heavenly father, your God. And as yours, he is your father. That, that noun that he uses there, meaning that he is the one who is responsible for the opportunity that we have to not only enjoy life, but to come to his presence. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Your access to your Father on the throne is based upon your faith in Jesus Christ. And only in him and through him and because of him do you have the access to come into his presence. It's not based upon your merit. It's based upon what he has done and what he has done alone. It is a throne of grace. Aren't you glad about that? It's through Christ that I have this beautiful privilege to be accepted and to be brought into his presence and for him to even answer my petitions and to enjoy my company. For John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, help us understand this truth. And I would like to come out here a little bit more, but... I can't. It says this, First John 1, 12, 13. But to all who did receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God willed you to be saved. And he is the one who gave you life in his son, Jesus Christ. And when you profess faith in him, you were given this beautiful privilege to call him your heavenly father. He is your Abba father. You are not his son and you are not his daughter. You are his child. There was only one son and his name is Jesus. We are children. And as children, we have this incredible access to his presence because by his will, he breathed life into us and he saved our soul through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrificial death on the cross. And because of what he did for us, all that work has now been done. And through Jesus and in Christ, standing on his righteousness, he looks at us, receives us, and we have the privilege to have a relationship with him and to lay our requests at his feet. There's a story in Luke's gospel, chapter 15, I believe. Let me get my notes real quick. Yeah, chapter 15, where there is described two, two sons, and the younger comes to the dad. He says, Dad, I want my inheritance, and the dad gives him his inheritance, and he takes a few days later all of that money, and he goes into a distant country. He distances himself from his father, and he squanders that on reckless living. And when it's all gone... He has nothing left. There's a famine in the land. He's left without any money, without any income. 
He applies for a job and gets a job slopping hogs, giving feed to the pigs. One day as he's doing that, he is so hungry, he looks at that slop and says, man, that sure looks good. I wonder if that tastes well. Not the pigs, but the slop. Because everybody in here loves bacon, amen? I said amen? amen? All right, thank you. And at that moment, he comes to his senses and he says, no, even the servants in my father's house are better than this. I think I'll go home. As unworthy as I am, I think I'll go home. He packs whatever he has left, probably nothing at all, because he's probably squandered everything. And he goes home. The Bible says that as he's coming up to the house, his father sees him at a distance. You know the story. And runs to him. He runs to him because his son, in repentance, is coming back to the father. And he says to his father, Father, I am unworthy. I am undeserving to be called your son. And before he gets anything out, father stops him. He embraces him. He kisses him. He puts the best coat on him. I don't know what he was wearing, probably not much at all. Put a ring on his finger that probably had an insignia saying that he was now related to the father and puts sandals on his feet. More than likely, he was barefoot. Kills the calf that they had been grooming for an incredible barbecue someday and throws a party. And he says, my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost, but now he is found. And he welcomes him in to the family. That was you and that was me. One day, lost in our sin, and we repented of our sin and came to our Father and asked for forgiveness, and he took us in as unworthy as we are and made us and adopted us into his family. Now we have access to God on the throne. So what I want us to do in this time, I want us to think about two things as we close. If you're here this morning and you have yet to place your faith and trust in Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to confess him and to pray to him and ask him to save you. That's a prayer that he hears from an unbeliever, from a Gentile, from one who doesn't believe. But the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wage of that sin is death. But Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He wants to welcome you. As that father welcomed his prodigal son into the family and put his seal on you, that forever will forever identify you as his own. And if you have yet to place your faith and trust in him today, maybe that's the prayer you need to pray. And he will welcome you into his presence and adopt you into the family. Those of us who are believers, those of us who put our trust in Christ, Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. I don't care how far you've been running or how far you think you've gone, but he welcomes you today into this observance of the Lord's Supper, in this time of communion and celebrate what Christ has done. For it is by grace you're saved through faith in that it is not of yourself, but it's the gift of God. I'm going to ask you, if you would, for a moment, just bow in the presence of the Lord and just take this brief second, just a few moments, to prepare your heart and your mind and your motives as you go into the place of worship before the Lord. And pray whatever prayer that you think you need to pray before him today.
He's inviting you and he's welcoming you into this place of worship today in his presence. What prayer do you need to pray? A prayer of faith to accept Christ? A prayer maybe like the prodigal, Father, I have been running, I have been distant. I want to come home today. I don't care what you've done, how far you've run, or how long you've been gone. He welcomes you today through a repentant heart. Will you come? Some of us here today are probably like the older brother who think, you know, I'm pretty pious and pretty religious. What about me? We need the same grace that everyone else needs in this place. And no matter where we think we are, we're not as far as we need to be in our relationship to him. Will you examine your heart and prepare for what God has for us today as we celebrate, as we welcome him today? not gotten the elements, I'm going to invite you to do so. Just take them out at this time. We're going to do something today. Don't, don't, don't tear anything out yet because I have some instruction here. Some of us have been doing this so long that we've gotten accustomed to doing this. We're going to do it different today. I want you to open the, the juice first. Open the juice first. Because in Luke chapter 22, And when the hour came, he declined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and drink it in remembrance of me. He took the cup first in Luke. So today we're going to do as Luke describes, we're going to take the cup first, which is symbolic of his blood that was shed on the altar of the cross of Calvary, where he died for your sins and my sins against the Father. For the one who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might, through faith in him, have remission and forgiveness of sin and have boldness to enter confidently into the throne room of grace. Let's do this today in remembrance of him. I didn't think about this before I did it, but it's going to be tricky to do it now to take the cup off and not spill anything on you. But if you can, maybe. In Luke it says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Symbolic of his body. I sat there and I watched my lifeless father's body before the funeral director came and got it, and he was gone. Thought about the body of Christ on that cross. The torment and the agony and the pain that he suffered 
until that moment of his death. The beatings, the whip, the agony of the cross, the journey to that place they call Golgotha, and then they stripped him of his clothes and nailed him to that cross. How painful that must have been. And yet that body absorbed the blows, the wrath, the punishment of God on behalf of those of us who profess faith and trust in him. Today we celebrate in remembrance of that. For Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's do this in remembrance of him. God, I thank you for the joy and the privilege opportunity that we have today to come boldly into the throne of grace and receive mercy and help in our time of need. We are all in need of your mercy and grace today and we are thankful, Jesus, for your body and for your blood. For it was in and through you that we have access to God our Father through personal faith and trust in you. God, help us to never take advantage of the privilege that we have in prayer. And help us to be people who take advantage of that as often as we can. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Our pastors will be up here this morning. If you've prayed or would like to pray a prayer to place your faith and trust in Christ, to confess him as your personal Lord and Savior, our pastors will be here. We invite you to do that. If you're online and watching us today or later, you can call into the office. Or one of the staff, the pastors will be in the back of the Welcome Center. They love to have you come by and talk to them, or there's also a card in your pew that we'd like to invite you to take out and fill out, put in the offering plate as it goes by, and someone from the staff, the pastoral staff, will contact you later. We'd be glad to celebrate what God has done in your heart and life today. But if you already place your faith and trust in Christ, today we stand and sing in honor and glory to him for all that he means to us and for all that he's done. Let's stand together and let's sing.